Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. G'day everyone, great to be here tonight, opening up Romans chapter 12 with you. I'm Michael, uh, one of the pastors here at Salt, so if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Welcome if you're new. Um, let's, let's pray again as we, uh, we focus now. Father God, please uh, yeah, still us now, help us to listen. Uh, thank you again that you are God who speaks and we pray by your spirit you might speak to us now. Uh, I pray that you'd help me to speak faithfully and well. I pray, Lord, that we would respond in a way that brings glory and honour to your name. Amen. Well, if the Christian life was an Olympic sport... Uh, what sport would best describe the Christian life, do you think? Um, If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you think about your journey in the Christian life, what sport is it? Uh, If you're thinking about uh, becoming a Christian, uh, what's the sport, the Olympic sport, that would actually help uh, understand what is it all about, this journey that you're on? I asked my small group this week, uh, here are some of the answers, uh, anonymously. Uh, Gymnastics. I don't know whether I understand that one. Um, the decathlon, I think that's, uh, you know, the, the difficulty of the events, the stages. Um, Greco-Roman wrestling, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't understand that one either. Um, but here's one I reckon it's got to be. I reckon it's got to be the marathon. Because it's that idea of a long, hard race that requires endurance, now, it's not that I've done a marathon, so anything I speak about a marathon tonight uh, is not from my personal experience. I've never done a marathon. I've never come close to running 42Ks. Uh, the closest I've come to running a marathon is walking or hiking a marathon course in the Blue Mountains, the six-foot track. Uh, I did it with my daughters, who were always miles ahead of me. Uh, and 24 hours later, I was in a lot of pain. <laughs> I, I almost couldn't walk. But I reckon that's the idea of the Christian life, long, hard, requiring endurance. Think about the marathon a bit with me now. Uh, Incredible amount of training and perseverance and discipline. Uh, Requires rigorous coaching. Uh, They say there are moments of joy. I don't know whether I... That's hard to... Look at at the face of people on a marathon. Lots of pain. Uh, it It looks like an individual sport. But when you look into it, there's actually a team of people that get people, uh, get the athlete ready for the event. And of course, with the marathon, there's that moment where you come into the stadium and there's a huge crowd uh, in the Olympics. There's millions of people watching on as you collect the prize at the end of the race. Uh, As the Christian comes to heaven, the crown that lasts uh, and receives that well done, good and faithful servant from Jesus. You know what else is similar to the marathon? Sadly, not everyone finishes the race. I don't know whether you're aware of this. I wasn't aware of it until I actually saw a marathon and I, was, I saw the Sydney Olympics marathon in, in the eastern suburbs. And there's a bus that uh, trails behind the pack of runners and in that bus are the runners who didn't make it, who couldn't make it, who needed to be collected. In that bus... There's experienced, trained, even veterans in, in, the, in the sport uh, who haven't made it. 
And it's the same in the Christian life. Not everyone who starts the Christian life goes the distance and finishes the Christian life. Uh, Jesus made this really clear. Uh, If you remember the story he told, the parable of the four soils, let me turn it into the four runners for you. Um, four, four kinds of people. Some, some people don't even turn up to the, uh, to the starting blocks. Okay, that's, that's one person. Secondly, some start with great eagerness. They've got all the gear, they've got all the kits. But sometime down the track of the race, they run into trouble or opposition and have to pull out of the race. And then there's others who, who start well but pull, pull out because they're distracted. Jesus said they're distracted by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or just the desire for other things. They've lost their passion. Um, during the Sydney Olympics, there was uh, the marathon course that went from North Sydney to the eastern suburbs, uh, had a blue line that waved through the streets of Sydney. And there was a cheeky uh, pub owner in Kensington who actually repainted the line a couple of weeks before the race. And he p- repainted it into his pub. <laughs> And it went alongside the bar, and then it went out the door, and then it joined the... I think that's what Jesus is talking about, though. People will get distracted. There they are, off, uh, off, off course. The fourth runner, Jesus said, is the one who finishes with great glory, even bringing people uh, with them. The Christian life is a marathon. And I want, you to, I want you to listen tonight, because I want you to make it to the end. And I want you to be one of those who, who is left behind. And I reckon that's what these verses are about tonight in Romans chapter 12. So open it up, Romans chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. There's five instructions there. Five little phrases, but incredibly important. Five things that will keep you going in the race, in the Christian life. Look at them with me. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer... Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Five things. Now, before we get into it, can you see the assumption that's what's hanging behind those five phrases? I reckon the assumption is the Christian life is going to be hard. It's actually going to be tough. That's why Paul needs to tell us these things. You're going to need to gear up. You're going to need to put effort in or else you won't make it. It's going to be a difficult race. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment, that, make sure that you're convinced of this. They've actually got the right expectation of the Christian life. Uh, if you're new to the race or you're thinking, should I join the race? Think, let's just think into what uh, expectations are right. Becoming a Christian, being a Christian is absolutely fantastic. No one regrets becoming a Christian. But it is a hard race. Uh, a few chapters earlier, in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says... We're actually living, this is how he describes the world we're living in. This is one part of what makes the journey so hard. He says, the whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. The new birth has come, it's about, we're almost there, it will be revealed on the last day, but we're in that point where it's hurting. We're, we're in pain, the world is groaning, that will make the, light, the race difficult. Um, remember what Jesus said. He said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Uh, if you come and follow me, they hated me, they'll hate you. Or he says things like in Luke 6, Beware when everyone speaks well of you. 
or blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He actually turns everything upside down for us or right, right way up for us. And then Paul says to his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now I reckon that's all, there's a bit of a sketch, that's really important to understand as you come to Romans chapter 12. Um, the last few weeks we've been looking at love, uh, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. We're called to be devoted to one another, we're called to be zealous, to be passionate for Jesus. Uh, here's what you're going to need if you're going to keep doing that that's what tonight's about look at it with me verse 12 the first one be joyful in hope you're going to need to have the calm confidence that comes when you know that everything will work out in the end everything will work out in the end amidst all the chaos of life the hurt the brokenness the groaning the opposition, you have a firm confidence that heaven is coming. That there is a glorious and beautiful end to a very tiring race. Uh, A long race, but a race uh, that won't be hard forever. And the Bible paints a beautiful picture of that end point for us. Uh, Book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Uh, Listen to this again. John says, I looked and saw new heavens and a new earth. Uh, he will, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Be joyful knowing that is coming. There is the certainty. There is the hope. Uh, be really clear on that. Set your, your heart on that, your sights on that. That final destination will change everything for you and I reckon it's really important to also understand what the Bible means by hope Uh, the the way the Bible uses the word hope is is, I reckon different to the way we use the word hope Uh, we often say things like I hope it will be a nice day and then it pours rain in Wollongong Um, or I hope I'll pass my exams or I hope she will say yes that's not the way the Bible's using it that's kind of I wish I wish it would happen I hope it will happen I don't have control on it Uh, The Bible's talking about a certainty. I reckon you could replace it with a certain hope, a definite, a fixture. That's the hope that he's talking about. Uh, It's certain because God keeps his promises. God is faithful. How do we know it's going to happen in the end? Well, Jesus has died. Jesus has risen again. Jesus has conquered death. He's dealt with sin. The judgment is coming Jesus is going to return and bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And so you can confidently say it will work out in the end. And say it not because you're faking it. Lots of people say that, don't they? Not because uh, it's wishful thinking, uh, but because of the certainty of God's promises and because of what Jesus has done. In fact, Paul says the alternative is really quite pitiful. The alternative is if there's no resurrection... If there's no new creation, you might as well eat, drink and be merry. You might as well enjoy this life. Uh, That is all there is. There is no hope. There is no joy. There is no future. In fact, if you're a Christian and you don't believe that there's a new resurrection, a new creation, that, that is a pitiful thing. You believe in a dead Messiah. But here, be joyful in hope. Set your heart on the hope to come.
and patient in affliction. Uh, just, it just means troubles. Be patient in your troubles. Endure hardship along the Christian life. Uh, I reckon it, f- it flows from joyful in hope, um, that as you're waiting for the hope to come, you'll need to contend with lots of difficulties along the way. As you wait for Jesus to be revealed, you're going to need to be patient. Um, there will be temptations. There will, you will experience brokenness. You will face opposition uh, for following Jesus. What, what is it going to take? It's going to take patience. In fact, it's mental toughness is what it takes, isn't it? In Jesus, to wait it out. Um, that's what they tell me is required in a marathon. Again, I'm not talking from personal experience. Um, but a friend of mine uh, entered the Ironman contest. Uh, this is the most ridiculous event. I don't know why middle-aged men enter these kind of competitions. Uh, I've got no sympathy for him. Um, the Ironman is a triathlon, and so it's uh, a 4K swim. It's a 180K bike ride. And then it's a marathon. Can you imagine doing that? Uh, maybe some of you here can. <laughs> uh, imagine that. You get, you get into the ocean, you swim for four kilometres, then you get on the bike for 180 kilometres. Like, that's a long way in my book. Um, and then because you're feeling so good, you, th- you think, well, why don't we just do a marathon to finish, you know? Anyway, so my, my mate does the swim and he said that was okay. He gets on the bike and he's like, I'm really starting to feel this. This is, this is a, a long distance. But then he gets to the start of the marathon and his head is pounding, his, his legs are jelly. And he thinks to himself, you know, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do 100 metres, let alone 42 kilometres. And then he thinks to himself, what do I need to do? I just need to get one foot in front of the other. One at a time. He starts to shuffle. Uh, One step, next step, next step. He's at the 1K mark. And then he reaches the 2K mark and the 3K mark. And he just patiently grinds it out. Patiently endures He sets himself for the long race. He imagines what it's going to be like at the 42k mark when he finishes. And then he finishes. And he proves to me why you should never enter the Ironman contest. (laughs) But that's the idea. Be patient in suffering. Endure. Set yourself for the long race. Well, look at the next one with me. Faithful in prayer, or some of your translations might have constant in prayer. That is, pray when when the race is feeling good, when it's easy, and pray when the race is hard. Who are you going to ask? Well, it's your Heavenly Father. It's completely appropriate to want to ask for help on the the way. Um, You're not doing it alone. It's, It's call upon your Heavenly Father. That's what prayer means. Ask. Rely on God, trust God, hand over to him your concerns. And Paul's saying, be consistent in this. Keep doing this uh, along the journey. And I reckon he knows uh, we need to hear that because we're tempted not to pray. We're tempted not to do that consistently. Uh, What would we rather do? We'd rather fix it ourselves. We'd rather worry 
We'd rather despair. We'd rather give in. But he says, no, no, be faithful, be consistent, constant in prayer. Keep asking God who cares for you. As you think about that, every time you, men- every time you mention prayer, you can feel guilty. I haven't committed myself to prayer. I'm not in good habits. Um, don't do the downward spiral of guilt. But think about how can you have a plan that works for you, that you can be consistent in prayer? How can you keep calling upon your Heavenly Father who wants to hear for you, from you uh, in the race? So there, there's, there's the three things. Be joyful in hope, patient in afflictions, constant in prayer. And as I thought about those three, if you're having trouble remembering all those, think, just think about Jesus. Uh, think about the model that Jesus was of those three things. There is Jesus facing more affliction, more opposition than you'll ever face. And what is Jesus? He is joyful in hope, isn't he? He's always, he always had his eyes on the glory to come. And he was patient in affliction. He was patient with those who opposed him. He was patient as he endured the cross. And he was faithful in prayer. He was calling upon his heavenly father. So be like Jesus. Well, have a look at the last two with me. Verse 13, it says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Um, to keep going with the race analogy, there are people in the race uh, who are doing it tougher than you. Um, share with them, be generous with them. Um, I reckon it'll actually help you persevere as you realise I'm not the only one in the race. There are many brothers and sisters, we're, we're in the race together. Uh, who is it that needs my help? Who is it that is in need? Uh, it's, it's what's deeply changed for us, isn't it? As we became Christians, we've received the deep, deep mercy of God uh, and now our attitude towards the things that we own, and that's what Paul's getting at here, the needs, the physical needs. Now my possessions are not mine. They're to be given generously uh, to those brothers and sisters around me. Uh, everything we have is a gift from God. How can I share it with, with brothers and sisters who are in need? Um, how can you use what you have uh, to help someone uh, who needs what you have? I remember the day uh, a $10,000 check arrived in the mail at church. Um, now that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> um, but opening the envelope, it was anonymous. Uh, the note read, this is for someone who is in need. And I thought there is a picture of, of great generosity uh, that's, that's what this is all about, isn't it? Share, someone had that money. I thought to myself, I was only been out of college for a few years, I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't know, if I had 10,000 cases, would I, would I be able to give it away? Um, but there is sharing with those in need the things that you have. It's the idea in Galatians chapter 6, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Share with your brothers and sisters who are in need. And the last one is practice hospitality. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but this is, it's convicting, isn't it? You're feeling convicted. There's, there's things to get on with here, isn't there? I, I've felt the weight of these. Um, what, is it, what does it mean? It means welcome those who literally are strangers to you. Welcome the new person. Open your home and welcome people in. Um, 
share your life with people. It's actually an attitude of the heart. And Paul says, practice this. It's literally pursue this. Keep working at this. Um, The Apostle Peter adds a bit to that phrase. Practice hospitality and do it without grumbling. There's the attitude of the heart. Uh, Can you do it out of love and from the heart? It's about them. It's not about you. It's about welcoming the stranger. It's a very God-like thing to do, isn't it? God loves to welcome people. It's a very Jesus thing to do. Uh, it's, it's the very thing that makes such a huge impact on uh, new people, uh, on new brothers and sisters, that I was welcomed in. I didn't know you, but you loved me, you shared with me, I got to share life with you. It's a massive expression of love. And I reckon it's, it's another one of those things that takes discipline. Uh, it won't just happen. Well, you've actually got to work out a plan if you're going to make it happen. And I reckon I'm, I'm still working out how to do this well, but I know that I need to commit to it. I actually need to have a plan that works uh, and I need to commit to it. And I guess I'm still working out how well we're doing that here at SALT. Uh, you might want to do a self-assessment on yourself tonight. How well are you uh, going at practising hospitality? But here, here's some things I reckon will always be our temptation... Uh, there'll always be a temptation to invite people who you love to hang out with. Uh, that's our natural inclination, isn't it? Um, even to hang out with the cool Christians, so to speak, or the people, you know, you've got a pecking order of people that you want to be seen with. And that's, we need to watch that, don't we? Jesus is not impressed by that. Our hospitality is much, much bigger than that. And I reckon to your ability to offer hospitality depends on a couple of things. It depends on your view of your home, uh, where you live, and it also depends on what you think hospitality actually is, what you think we're meant to be doing here as we practice hospitality. So a uh, wise Christian lady uh, early in our, our married life said to us, um, what you need to do is you need to keep it simple. Uh, I think I, I was wrong-headed in this. Um, she said, It says practice hospitality, it doesn't say practice entertaining. They are two separate things. Um, If you think that uh, you have to provide a three-course meal, you have to have the best um, cutlery and crockery out, you have to have the nicest wine and the house has to be spotless, you'll not only hardly ever do it because you can't pull that off, you've actually missed the point, is what she said. It's about welcoming people into your life and welcoming people into your home actually all that other stuff is actually more about my pride what are people going to think of my house is it clean what do they think of the meal that I've made for them or tried to make for them Um, one of the most hospitable people I know uh, is a lady who lives in a very humble house uh, who's always uh, inviting people in Uh, and she's not the kind of person that would make fancy meals or try to impress anyone. She actually knows everyone in her street and she's not a busybody. She actually genuinely cares for people and prays for people. Uh, she invites... Her, her, I think she'd characterise her ministry very simply as um, loving the people in her street, inviting them over uh, hospitality and inviting them to church. And what's been the result? People know that she loves them... And people know that she loves Jesus. 
That's been the effect. Um, so I just want to encourage you, invite, invite people over, spend time with people, don't think it's a big deal. It might be come over for a coffee, come over for a tea, come over for a beer. Let them see how messy your house is. Uh, let them see how messy your life is. Um, that's what hospitality is about. And I reckon also it's having a healthy view of your home. Uh, and this is where our culture hasn't been very helpful to us. Um, in our culture, I'm sure you've noticed this, it's so blatantly obvious, isn't it, that homes have become like idols. They're not places to live in and um, have people over. They're, they're idols. They're things that we worship. They, they're, they're almost like status symbols. Um, I think I had this, added, this idea growing up that often uh, friends of my parents, it felt like you go to someone's house so that they might show off their house and you might be impressed uh, by what they have. Uh, and that's the opposite of hospitality. Uh, but in our culture, the, it's, it's really weird, isn't it? The bigger that homes get, the less people live in them and the less people come into them. Uh, last time I looked at the stats, the average Aussie has seven visitors into their home, not including their own family, per year. That's pretty low, isn't it? Some of us will have seven people in our home a week. and We, we, we can't all do that, but... If your home is open, that's kind of the character. It's not a castle. It's not a place to put the barriers up. It's a place to invite people in. And so it's really strange. It's really strange. Their homes are bigger. They've never been more set up for hospitality, never had better kitchens, never had better dining areas and better uh, outdoor entertaining areas, and yet that doesn't mean we're more hospitable. Uh, when we lived on the Central Coast, uh, we had a local builder build for us um, a deck on the back of our house. And there it is, bringing back great memories for the Plage family. Um, and the builder knew that I was a pastor and he knew that I had lots of people over. And halfway through the job, he says to me, I'm really enjoying doing this job. And I, I thought about that for a moment. I thought, I'm going to ask him, why that is the case. I mean, a house is pretty stock standard. It's a pretty stock standard job. Um, he's this guy who's built million-dollar homes in Sydney and he's building a humble deck on the back of our house. And he says to me, the reason is, it's just so satisfying to build something that will actually get used. <laughs> I think he was used to building big homes and big decks where uh, a photographer will come in, take a photo and the house will be sold, and it won't be for hospitality. Uh, when we left the coast, uh, lots of grief, leaving lots of brothers and sisters behind, I remember someone saying to me, Michael, how can you leave now? You've just built your deck. <laughs> how can you leave the deck behind? And it's like, who cares about the deck? Our memories are of the people that were on that deck. Our memories are of the discipleship, the conversations over food and a barbecue. It was about love and hospitality. And there's also a memory of uh, nearly burning the deck down one New Year's Eve as well. But I'll tell you about that another time. Um, practice hospitality. Let me encourage you. That's what Paul's saying. Practice, pursue, do it, plan for it, make it happen. Why? Because the journey is long and hard, and if you're going to make it, if you're going to bring other people with you, 
uh, it's all part of the journey. So what, what is it? Joyful in hope, patient in trouble, constant in prayer, sharing with those in need, practicing hospitality. Now, as we finish, I want to show you two images of two different athletes. Uh, the first one, hopefully you recognize, a guy by the name of Usain Bolt. Um, so apparently he, he's retired now, but he's still known as the fastest man alive. Uh, this is him at the 2016 Olympics. Uh, incredible confidence, uh, an incredible athlete. Um, can you see the photo there where he smiles at the camera as he's winning the 100-metre sprint? He's on his way to gold and he turns his head and he smiles at the camera. I mean, there, that is a glory boy, Yeah. Uh, triumphant, full of glory, um, that's Usain Bolt. But have a look at this next picture. Comes from Mexico City in 1968. Uh, this is John Stephen Aquari. He's a Tanzanian running in the marathon. And when he entered uh, at the far end of the stadium, he was hobbling in, in absolute agony. Uh, his leg is bloodied and he's it's bandaged. Apparently the winner of the marathon had already been declared an hour earlier before he entered the stadium. And when he entered the stadium, actually lots of people had already gone home. There was only a few spectators left. But here's this lone runner pressing on, coming home to the finish line. Now have a look at these two pictures. Which do you think is the better picture of the Christian life. It's the Tanzanian marathon runner. Actually, Akwari is the better picture of the Christian life. And when, you know, when he crossed the finish line, that little crowd, that little group of people that were there, uh, absolutely roared for him in appreciation. But afterwards, apparently a, a reporter asked him how, how come you didn't retire, even though you, you, hadn't, you had no chance of winning the race and yet you didn't retire? And Akwari seemed confused by that question, but finally he gave this answer. He said, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish. And I reckon that, it, that just captures brilliantly, doesn't it, what the Christian life is about. Jesus wants us to start. This is eternity, but he wants us to finish. And some of us are in that race and, and we're not, it's, it's not about looking impressive. In fact, we, we're not impressive. We're hobbling along, we're sick, we're struggling with sin. We've got disappointments and setbacks. Uh, it doesn't feel good, but we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're looking towards the end, the finishing line. We're forgiven by Jesus and we're looking forward to that welcome home at the end and so there it is joyful in hope patient in trouble faithful in prayer sharing with those in need pursuing hospitality right to the end i'm going to pray for us our great heavenly father we thank you uh, for the deep mercy that you've shown to us that forgiveness is possible in jesus that you are transforming us uh, that you've set us on this new race uh, of loving and following you, of being zealous for you, being passionate for you. And Father, we do find it hard, 
And it is a long, hard race. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd give us joy as we uh, look to the finishing line of the new creation. Father, please give us patience uh, in trouble, in afflictions, in difficulties, in brokenness, in opposition. Father, help us to keep calling upon you in prayer. Uh, Thank you that you care for us. And Father, we do pray that we would honour and be devoted to one another, sharing with one another, sharing with those in need and pursuing hospitality, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. After the sermon, we also had a time of Q&A where people submitted questions and our pastor answered them. And we've included that as part of the podcast here now. Most important one. Why do you like curling as an Olympic sport so much, Michael? <laughs> I think you I don't know need where to that's that. from. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, let's go to Let's get to something else. <laughs> um, what would you suggest for those who want to be more prayerful but find it hard to make it a habit? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, sometimes, uh, sorry, firstly, be encouraged that lots of us find that hard. Um, I think one of the discouraging things sometimes can be, I'm the only one who feels that way, I'm the only one who wrestles with that. Actually, I think a lot of us do. I know I do. Um, So putting some things, having a plan. Don't just go into a downward spiral of guilt. Have a plan and have a simple plan. Um, Sometimes I think we try and pull off way too much. So it's a bit like Bible reading. You go, I think I might read the whole Bible between now and the end of the year. And you go, I don't know whether that's realistic. Um, So have something simple. So... I like to start my day as a bare minimum of praying, yeah, spending some time with God, uh, opening up the Bible. Um, what's what's going to work for you in terms of the time of the day? Uh, I'd say stick with that and don't feel um, bowled over by guilt when you fail. Um, God is a God of grace. Uh, we're all in this together. Uh, that's going to happen. Pick yourself up again and, and keep going. Um, and the last thing I'd say I think is Uh, I reckon there's lots, if you think about it, there's lots of time in your day, or at least some time in your day and some time in your week, which is kind of fairly down time that you could probably make better use of. Someone said to me, uh, Morning Church, that if you look on your phone and see what percentage of time you've had on different apps, that might help you. Um, There's those times when you go, I could could actually be praying at this point. Um, And that would be a great use of time. Uh, So, yeah, there's some tips. Yeah. Um, I remember someone saying to me once, the, I was trying to do you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the morning of Bible reading a prayer. They're like, don't limit it to that. You can pray all day. Just have a, a pattern of talking to God. Sure. Um, and I found that really helpful personally to kind of go at all these moments. Meals are obvious ones. But I remember when I was my first job out of uni, I was a manager of, um, I was 20 I was a manager of like 45-year-old men and women, had no idea what I was doing. People would ask me hard questions, and I quickly go, I have no idea of the answer, God, please help me. And then I'd try and come up with an answer. Um, just all these ways that we can pray across the day. Uh, moving to another thing, what does need look like at Salt Church? Mm. Uh, how do we know who's in need? We're living in an affluent society. What does need look mm. like in our society? Yeah, yeah. So I reckon that's, um, there's a couple of things. One is, it's really getting to know your brothers and sisters at SALT. Um, so coming every week and having meaningful conversations, getting into relationships with people means that you actually get to know each other and you work out, oh, 
my brother is really struggling with this or could do with this, uh, you won't know that if you don't come to church regularly, if you don't yeah, try with those relationships and move them past superficial. Um, we've got the care team as well. Um, so, uh, Lisa, uh, I'll put you on the spot there. <laughs> you want to put your hand up? Um, you might want to talk to Lisa about are there needs? Come on up the front, Lisa. <laughs> so, no, just yeah. um, you might want to talk to her about are there particular people that are needy? Can I help financially or whatever other ways? But then I reckon we've actually got to look a lot more broadly um, that there are brothers and sisters in other parts of our nation and then the world who are, you know, the needs are significantly different. And so, you know, it's, it's, they do need financial assistance for food. Um, they are under persecution for their life. Uh, so I think it's being that global Christian, realising that the, they're our brothers and sisters. They're, they're, there they are in parts of the Middle East and northern India and whatnot. Who's going to look after them, care for them? It's the Christian community globally. And so I think there's some thoughts. Mm, very good. Uh, and kind of flowing off that, uh, it seems like that, that verse share with the Lord's people who are in need, mm. how do we balance sharing with everyone, um, sharing with people who don't know and love Jesus, and sharing with the Lord's people, do we contribute to all needs, just yep. Christians' needs? How does that work? So it's a lovely idea to think that you can contribute to all needs, but it's actually not possible. Uh, there are far more needs than you'll ever be able to meet. Um, so I think that's where the Galatians 6.10 verse is really helpful. As we have opportunity, do good to everyone, and then uh, especially um, your brothers and sisters or believers. So I think there is... Uh, and the Bible keeps talking about uh, your first port of call is your brothers and sisters. They are your family, uh, not just here at Salt, but broadly, as we said. Uh, but the Christian life and love that God's given you will spill out um, to people who don't know Jesus, of course. Okay, so I take it it'll be both. Um, but I do, yeah, anyway, that's probably enough said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, there is a priority hmm. Um, it's it's not either or, it's both, but yep. more and less, I guess, mm. so far as you have to choose. Yep. Um, a great question. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're kind of exploring Christianity, what are you meant to take from this? What are you meant to do with this? It seems like everything we've been seeing in Romans 12, everything we saw tonight is directed towards Christians, telling Christians mm. how to live. If, you haven't, if you're not in the marathon, mm. what does it look like to run the race? Yeah. Well, you've got to start the marathon. Um, so I think uh, the first verse in Romans is really helpful, isn't it? In view of God's mercy, and then it goes on to say, this is what the Christian life looks like. Okay. Um, so starting the, the Christian life is, is realising God has poured himself out in Jesus at the cross uh, to offer you forgiveness and mercy. Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and enter into relationship with with, with God and then start the journey it's really important uh, it's not what things do I need to do to become acceptable to God that's not what Romans 12 it's about have you been forgiven have you seen the mercy of God now that you have here's how to live and hopefully um, so if, you, if you're not yet a Christian I think keep focused on what does that mercy forgiveness look like I want to grab hold of it 
Uh, but then keep an eye on the race and go, well, this is what it's going to look like. Uh, as you join the race, this is, this is what it's about. And uh, hopefully you see, tonight was, uh, it's hard, it's difficult, but you're going to see all the beauty of it as you look across the whole of Romans 12, uh, that there's no better option. Yeah. yeah. I don't know for some of us, when we first hear the good news about Jesus, I think this relates to my experience a little bit, uh, it's painted in one light. It's painted maybe a little bit like Usain Bolt smiling at the camera. Okay. And you're like, oh, that sounds great. I'll sign up for that. Mm. And then you start running and you're like, hang on. This isn't... And then you look at the Bible and you're like, oh, it wasn't ever Usain Bolt. That's not how the Bible's yeah, described yeah. this. It's, it's the other guy. Um, so I think there's even a helpfulness as you're... Yes. This is honest. This is raw. This is real about... Mm. There is suffering. Jesus tells us that. He prepares us for it. But there's joy, and there's joy in the race, and there's joy at the end of the race. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. Um, last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us would probably be pretty out of practice at doing hospitality during lockdowns yeah. when we're in our bunker. Uh, how do we get back into it? We just got to do it. <laughs> um, it, is, it is very true, though, when you get out of the habit. So I was just talking to someone this morning, and they were, they were recognising... They're out of the habit of just getting out of their house and mixing with other people, having people in their home, and that is not helpful for their Christian life. Um, so just coming back to church was a big step, and then going, okay, we not we used to have people over. Who are the people that we're going to? So it's it's small steps. I think it's like anything in life. It's like any discipline. You just need to start, and then you need to set yourself realistic patterns and move forward. And uh, it's like what I said about prayer too. Realize that it's not going to be straightforward and you're going to fail and and I think the other thing to say too is uh, we're all in different stages of life and ability to offer hospitality in our homes Um, if you're flatting with people I don't think it's love to them to go oh yeah uh, 5pm church why don't you come over after church all of you (laughs) come on out so you've got to just think about your situation and I think that's where it's about the heart are you open to welcoming people in, whatever that looks like in your circumstance. Uh, and then there's seasons of life. You know, some, some of us are doing it tough uh, in a whole lot of ways and it's not the season. Or I, I was speaking to families this morning with young kids. They need to think about how to do hospitality, but it's going to look very different um, to, you know, to the way I'm doing hospitality at the moment with teenage kids who don't want to spend time with us. So <laughs> there's plenty of room. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I particularly like that that sense of the habits come and go, there's different seasons. And I think, yeah, the, the things that throw us off our game and sometimes when you've been out of relationships with people and you've mm. been out of the habit, you, that becomes your new normal. We hate the phrase the new normal. heard it too mm. many times. But it becomes your new normal and you have to kind of get perspective and, and work to change that. That's yeah. great. Um, I said that was the last question, but I'm sneaking another one in. Uh, what's the takeaway? What's a big thing you want us to, to take with us as we go into our week, as we continue this race? Uh, well, I think it's the five, the five things. Can we remember them? Joyful in hope. You remember them. Yeah, joyful in hope. Uh, patient in affliction. Constant in prayer. Sharing uh, with those in need and practicing hospitality. That's what the race is about. That's what you're going to need if you're going to continue. So, yeah. Awesome. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word.